Welcome to Converge, everybody. We're glad that you're here. If you want to start getting your last snacks, actually, we'll have some stuff out for a while, but uh, if you want to get those snacks, get that coffee, find a seat, we're excited to get started. We've got a great, great day in Converge plan. Today, we're going to have our worship team join us in just a few minutes, so we're, t- we're excited about that, and Pastor Jeff is back to dive into 1 Corinthians 14. How many of you, I need, I need to hear, I need to see a response. I don't have to hear a response, that's fine. How many of you, this is going to be your last Sunday with us in Converge for at least a little while? Raise your hand. We are going to miss you. How many of you, it's going to be your last Sunday in Converge for a long while? I don't know if we can go on. All right. Yeah, so some of you are graduating, some of you are moving on. This is, this is going to be um, the last day that we see several of you for several different reasons. Georgia, I know you're moving on in life. We're going to miss you. It's been great having you a part of the group. Um, also, this is going to be Isaac and Victoria's last Sunday with us. This time next week, they're going to be married. assuming they keep deciding to go through with this. I, I mean, yeah. Um, and then they're going to be exploring uh, places in the church where they might find some, some couples around them that are in that same stage of life. So they're going to be looking at, at other communities because, you know, this, this community is vastly young single adults, right? And so you might find yourself in that transition point at some point. I would love to, to talk with you about it or not. If you just need to move on and want to, you know, explore what, what else Heritage has to offer for you in a different stage of life, I think that's part of why we're here. We've, we've designed this group to be a transition. And so as you figure out that, that it might be great to have some multi-generational input into your life, then you might want to talk to me about where, where you might find that in Heritage. Maybe you get married, and you want to look for, for things that are going to you know, fit that stage of life a little bit better. Then I want to help facilitate that. We're not running anybody out of this group. I don't mean that, right? Like I didn't have this conversation with them and say, you got to go. You just, you know, you got to go. Uh, but, but I do think that there's just an appropriateness to the transition that we have built into the fabric of Converge. And so we want, to, we want to facilitate that when the timing is right. So, guys, at the end of, of Converge, I want us to pray over you guys for your wedding that's coming up next week, for the transition that's going to happen with that. So uh, stick around just for a minute. Pastor Jeff will uh, we'll pray at the end for Isaac and Victoria. A um, couple other things that are coming up. If you want to stay connected with um, what we're doing over the summer. If you want to keep up with any changes that might be happening for the fall, then I would encourage you to, again, um, text at HB Converge to 81010. When I say again, if you've already done it once, you don't have to do it again, but you'll be in that group. 
if you haven't ever done it and you're, and you're going to have some space between you and Converge and you want to be aware of what's going on, then I would suggest doing that. We also will put some stuff out on Facebook, uh, but, but the text message group is a great way to do that. We're going to continue small groups in some form over the summer. So if you're here, you're going to stick with us through the summer. Um, we're going to kind of feel out the level of participation. We have had some phenomenal groups meeting on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. I am so thankful for the Sumis and the Velezes for opening up their homes to you guys and having the opportunities to, to talk through how God's word meets your real life and being able to pray together, challenge each other, build relationships. I think it's been fantastic. And so if you appreciate the Velezes and the Sumis, can you give them a round of applause for doing that? We'll have further updates on, on any modifications to the small groups. We just kind of want to see where the summer interest is uh, and, and availability, too, because your schedules change through, through the summer. You know that better than me. All right, so um, next, I have a big thank you for Seth because he has put together a podcast with our Sunday morning messages from, from Converge. So for this summer, if you want to keep up with what's going on, or uh, if you want to finish off, we've got about three, this week and two more in 1 Corinthians. So if you even just want to finish up the 1 Corinthians study with us, we've had some issues with our video capability, but our audio capability is strong, and Seth has put together the podcast. This, it's on Spotify as well as other um, sources, but this uh, link right here, this QR code will take you to the Spotify uh, podcast if you want to keep up with it while you're gone or, you know, while you're here. That's fine, too. There are a lot of things going on um, at Heritage that you might not hear just us talk about in Converge, but you might want to be involved in. The hub at hbclynchburg.com is where you want to go for that, including, I'll give another push for VBS this summer. Vacation Bible School is happening this summer. There are tons of opportunities to be involved, whether that's face-to-face -face with kids or in prep stages up to the time or in afterwards in cleanup and resetting the church because VBS takes over a church and we need to get it back for Sunday, the next Sunday. There are tons of opportunities wherever you feel like you might be able to line up and those opportunities are available through the hub along with other things like how do I join the church? How do I get baptized? Those kinds of things you can find um, on the hub. All right? Now, for next year, we're already thinking. All right? We're thinking about what's coming. We want to we wanna push some stuff out there to you, get them on your calendar in at least a penciled-in kind of form. Um, we want to get your awareness level up and your interest level up to come back and, and be with us next year. We are working on a missions opportunity during spring break next year. All right, so if you can, if you want to invest your spring break in going somewhere in the world to um, to engage with the lost, then convert. We want to offer that as an opportunity next year. The exact de destination is still in the works, but we have a couple of options that are um, stateside, and we have a couple of options that are more 
Middle Eastern. So um, we're, we're working on what the possibilities are and how many people can be in those groups. And we'll have a lot more information coming in the fall, including an application process to be able to get involved in that. So uh, I just want to make you aware of that, that spring break next year could be an opportunity for you to invest in the mission of God that we talk about every week here in Converge. Okay, along with that, leading up to it, there is a conference that I really wanted to go to this year in January and COVID, right? So we didn't go. But in January 2022, right after New Year's, so right in the middle of a lot of your Christmas break, kind of mid-semester or between semester time frames, across the Cross Conference featuring people like David Platt, who puts it together, J.D. Greer is going to be there. John Piper is going to be there. This is going to be a phenomenal conference focused on investing your life in the work of God around the world and here in the States, how to invest your life instead of, you know, what would really be, if we're honest, the other choice is to squander it. And we don't want, we don't want to squander what God has given us as this opportunity to be involved in the lives of people around us. I got a short video for you to watch about the cross conference. One day the curtain will close on your life and the credits will roll. But if your story is a part of his story, then it is a part of one that will go on forever. Follow me, he said, and I will make you a fisher of men. When you accepted the call to follow Jesus, you de facto accepted the call to missions. The question is no longer if you are called. The question now is only where and how you are called. The doors are open. Unprecedented opportunities abound right now for the spread of the gospel among people who've never heard it. I would love to have to figure out a way to take 100 people to this conference. It might not be that many. I want you to go. That's, that's where I'm at right now. So um, pencil that in, too, for the end or right around the beginning of the new year. January 1st, I don't have the dates right in front of me. It's right around um, the new year, and I would love to take as many people as we can. Uh, it should, it's usually in Louisville, Kentucky. Again, like the details aren't right in front of my face right now, so I'm, I'm lacking on that. But put that, put that down, and, uh, and we'll take a group there. And, and really, um, this is the heartbeat of what Converge is, that we have, we have a place and a purpose in this world designed by God to engage the people around us with the gospel. And whether you're called to go or whether you're going to facilitate the sending and stay active in the mission of God right where you're at right now, we're all called to the work of God in this world. And so we want to be challenged by that. Right now, we're going to invite our worship team to come up. Thrilled also with the role that Josh has had in this year to um, help us get focused on what God has for us every other Sunday since about February. And so if you've appreciated Josh and, and the teams that have come and led us in worship, would you give them a round of applause as we start? Too? 
But we're excited. This is our last uh, worship session of the year, so it's kind of sad, but also excited to, to worship the Lord this morning. If you guys would stand, we have a new song for you. If you guys know it, uh, feel free to sing along. Like holy water 
today and I thank you for um, thank you for your majesty and for your power and yet for your grace and your mercy that allows us to come before you and sing and worship and gather as believers and be one um, thank you Jesus for your sacrifice and for laying down your life that we might have life and never be forsaken and I pray Lord that we would rest in you and we would learn to live in your grace and um, share it with other people. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. While Pastor Jeff comes up and, and we get the screen switched over, I want to give you one more um, announcement for those of you who weren't here for the live stream this morning. Um, today was the last day that we will need to live stream the service into this room for the foreseeable future. Um, so if you have been in the practice of coming here for the 9 o'clock service, you won't need to do that next week or for the summer as far as we know right now. We can just join in to the main service and the main seating areas in the IP and the auditorium. So I really genuinely appreciate your willingness to be here for that. Um, it has been very important for the church to be able to facilitate the seating of so many people, and you guys have been so gracious to um, to do that all year, well, yeah, all year long. And so um, I genuinely appreciate it. Um, that time is over for now. Uh, should we need to in the future, I, I know that you guys will step up again, but um, I'm very grateful for that and very excited to say it doesn't have to happen next week. So join us in the main service, main seating areas next week. Pastor Jeff, we're glad you're here. I am glad I'm here as well. 
A um, couple things. I want to reiterate something that Pastor Nathan talked about this morning. Uh, the importance of just having a regular intake in God's Word or from God's Word. Um, that's one of my favorite passages that he spoke on this morning. Um, I was introduced in a discipleship group uh, some 40 years ago uh, where I began the habit of just being in God's Word on a regular basis and there's nothing in my life that I have done, any discipline that I've done that has radically changed my life over the last 40 years than being simply in God's Word as often as I can at least every day. Um, I miss some days, yes, but the impact of that long-term investment of learning to feed yourself spiritually will really give you direction of where God desires and longs uh, for you to be. So just reiterating that, it just echoes in my mind and, and heart over and over again. So I think we're still working on getting my PowerPoint up. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 14. Um, I'm thankful that the uh, leadership team here decides to give me the easy passages to uh, to exegete and uh, and to bring bring with you uh, to bring to you. Um, I'm glad that it's only 40 verses instead of four. I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but um, well, I want to really uh, thank Dave and Isaiah, and I think you two are the only two in here. But <clears throat> our men's conference this past weekend was amazing. Um, I have been over men's ministry in the 26 years that I've been here. Other than this conference, it's the first one that I wasn't over, and honestly, it was the best one. Um, Dave and Isaiah and their team just did an unbelievable job with it, and it allowed me for the first time to go to a men's conference and just be one of the guys and to sit back and really have God speak to me and uh, move my heart where it needed to be. And so Saturday night, Pastor Kent spoke, and um, there were a couple things in my life that I needed to surrender. And... You know, just between the Lord and I, walking down, writing on this piece of, like, caution tape, tying it to the cross, and just surrendering those things. Little did I know that God would bring something the next day into my life that would really affirm and validate those things that I surrendered. Um, on the way home, um, on the way back, uh, coming into Greensboro on I Interstate I-40 East, coming in, moving at the speed of traffic. Sometimes that's a speed limit, sometimes it's not. I don't know because I was going with the flow of traffic. Come into this intersection, all of a sudden the traffic slows down. Two cars in front of me, headlights or their brake lights go on and I see the back of their cars go up, which means that they're locking it up. They pull off to the left, get out of the way, which gave me room to stop. And I looked in my rearview mirror and I said to Jonathan, who was with me, I said, he's not going to make it. And I watched him hit his brakes and hit the back end of his car, slid out into the traffic, and he went head on into the guardrail. Off the guardrail, hit the back of my van, spun me around towards the guardrail. So I'm going this way. He bounces off the guardrail, hits me, T-bones me in the driver's door. All four airbags on that side deploy. And uh, next thing I know, I am this way and the traffic's going this way and um, you know kind of a, it happened so quick we got hit so hard that Jonathan everything that was in his front pockets ended up in the back seat so but if you looked at our the van it was a it was a 2016 Honda Odyssey 
And if you look at it, the left side of it, the, dry, the passenger side, it's like, yeah, it doesn't look like anything happened. They still totaled the van. But when you have four airbags deployed, but knocked my glasses off, broke my glasses. Um, as you know, I'm 80% deaf in this ear. I'm now 10% deaf in this ear, hoping uh, through some uh, steroids that I'm on that that'll come back. But, um, you know, having uh, had the opportunity to process through that for the first 20 or 30 minutes, called my wife, told her I was okay, tried to figure out how we were going to get home. And, by the way, where's Bob? Bob, Velez. Thank you, brother. Um, Bob stopped on the way back. Uh, he saw what happened, and I sent him on because the police hadn't even got there yet. And so I appreciate Bob's offer. It, it um, you know, it was, uh, it was, I was grateful <laughs> just to see some friendly faces go by and uh, Bob stopping. And, but Pastor Nathan called me because through the phone calls of the staff, and he, he got word that we were in an accident and called me. And my, all of a sudden, just these moments of clarity. And I, trust me, I'm not a mystical, mysterious, fuzzy, feely guy, okay? Um, but in that moment, um, talking to Pastor Nathan, are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. This is what's happened. He goes, how you doing? And I love the way he asked that. And I was like, it just hit me. This overwhelming, positive, warm, affirming feeling came over me. You could have been with Jesus today. You know, I've got a wife and three daughters, three grandbabies. That wasn't the thing that was on my mind. What was on my mind was, man, how cool would that have been? I'd have been with Jesus. I never thought that that would be the reaction to almost losing your life. But that was my thought. And that was my feelings in that moment. And so the song that we just sang, the grave has no power over me because of what Jesus has offered. So... My second thought, almost in the, the moment, was, well, if I'm not with Jesus, he's not done with me yet. And so this cross conference, did I get the name right? Yeah. Boy, if God has not called you to go, God has called you to send. That is the calling on my life. Without a question, I settled that years and years ago. But if I'm not called to go, what am I doing to develop and send and launch people from here? That, that, is, that is my heart and passion. So I'm called not to go, but to launch and equip. And, uh, man, I'm excited about the next season of my life. Um, you, you, you know, if God wanted me at home, I'd have been home last Sunday. I'd have been with Jesus, and I'd have been okay with that. But I'm here, and I'm okay with that. And so I want to live well for the next uh, how many ever years he gives me. Could be a week, could be a day, could be another 10 years. Um, I don't know, but... I'm, I'm very thankful to be here and excited about sharing with you today. 1 Corinthians 14. Anybody want to take a guess at what 1 Corinthians 14 is about? Besides the Corinthians. I heard tongues. It's about tongues. Is that a confusing issue today in the church? Nah. <laughs> it has divided churches. It is divisive. It's a tough issue. We want black and white answers. And, um, you know, I, I, I would like to walk us through this morning. I'm going to let you know right up front where I'm coming from. Um, I am open but extremely cautious. And when it comes to the American culture, I'm even more extremely cautious about 
the, the gift of tongues. My understanding of what biblical tongues is, is the direction that we're going to take today. But please understand that I'm, I'm, I'm open but extremely cautious, so I'm not going to say everything is that you see and hear is, is wrong and unbiblical or of the devil or unspiritual. I think there's a lot of things that we don't understand. And you know what? We serve a big God, and God's bigger than me. He'll never contradict his word. But just because I don't understand it doesn't mean he doesn't have the ability to do it. Okay? So we are Baptist here, so that's pretty much our, our position. And I think my position would be very reflective of, uh, well, I know it is, very reflect, reflective of Pastor Nathan as well. So let's talk about what we already know in regard to, oh, you've got my notes back there. Somebody stole my iPad. So, okay, we're going to operate it from back there. You got it? I trust you. Go to the next slide. Okay, understanding 1 Corinthians 14. Since I don't have it here, I'm going to have to go back and forth here. Okay, let's understand what's going on in 1 Corinthians 14. Go ahead to the next slide. Next point, okay. Paul is clearly correcting in this chapter the misuse of spiritual gifts and particularly the misuse of the gift of tongues. Next couple points. One more. There we go. So chapter 12, verse 15. He is dealing with this whole idea of gift envy that's going on in the Corinthian church. You've got this gift, but I only got this gift. That gift is more important than this gift. And Paul is laying it out here that no gift is more important than the other. They may have more of a place of prominence, but they're all critically important and functioning in the diversity and the unity of the church. So he's also dealing with gift elevation. Well, there was a longing to have these more prominent giftings. And if I can be honest with you, one of the things that I laid down Saturday night was knowing that in my stage of life, my impact for the kingdom was not going to be up front in front of people, but it was going to be more by being in small groups and one-on-one with people. And I think that's the way God has gifted me. But I had to wrestle with that even this weekend and all the years that I've lived this, this life of still surrendering things, opening up your heart for God to put his finger where he wants you to, where he wants you to adjust. But gift elevation, gift projection, again, elevating one gift over the other. He's dealing with this in chapter 12. So there's an issue there that he's wrestling with. And David did a great job a couple weeks ago addressing that there's a better way. All of this comes back to biblical love in and, and 1 Corinthians 13. If we're not doing this in love, then all we are is a really loud noise. Okay? I can describe a real loud noise to you when an airbag goes off in your ear. That's all it is. It's painful. It hurts. It's confusing. It, it's weird. And we're going to talk about weirding people out here in 1 Corinthians 14 as well. But Paul shows a better way that the thing that you ought to seek is not necessarily a spiritual gift but seek spiritual maturity and how to love one another. That is far more important than any gift, talent, or ability that you have. Do you have the ability to love as Jesus loved? And what a, it's a great chapter that leads us into that. Now, somewhere here in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10, somewhere along this process, Paul states that at some point, some of these gifts will cease, that they are only temporary in nature. We're not going to address that today. I have my own personal thoughts and feelings and opinions on this based upon my study. But that's not the point that Paul's making here in 1 Corinthians 14. The point that he's making is that some of them will cease, but the most important thing 
love never ceases. And that's what we need to focus on. Okay? I have, um, I have an uncle who just recently went to be with the Lord. Um, he came to know the Lord through a very strong Pentecostal church uh, down in Texas who loved him to Jesus. He had been through five divorces. Um, and by the time he was in his uh, late, uh, um, or I should say early 40s to mid 40s, and God radically loved him through this church to come to faith in Christ. So, man, this church, although they believed in all the charismatic giftings, what they did well was love. A very broken pagan man um, who, who was a mess. But it was love that reigned and brought him to Jesus. So um, I think this is the focus that we need to have is love. All right, next slide. Okay, understanding the background of 1 Corinthians 14. Background is important. I love New Testament backgrounds because it really sets the stage uh, for helping us understand what the book's all about. In fact, if you're not familiar with BibleProject.org, you need to be. Every book of the Bible that you read, go out to BibleProject.org and watch their video that introduces and gives an overview of the book. It'll really set the stage for what the book's about, give you a better understanding as you're reading through books. But uh, 1 Corinthians 14, next point. Um, understand that up in the city of Delphi, just north of Corinth, uh, there were mystical religions practicing what is called ecstatic languages, which was basically, even based upon writings of the day, were these undefinable mutterings and mumblings of language that were mixed into these mystery cults that were going on. Okay, so this was happening just north of Corinth, and it was also happening in the known region of the world. So that plays a part into what Paul may be addressing here. Next point. Uh, the problem with syncretism. Uh, syncretism is taking parts of one religion and mixing them with parts of another religion. You find this all around the world. And uh, unfortunately, Christianity at times tries to mirror and, and syncretize probably a little too much. Not probably. We do sometimes do that. We also try to Americanize a foreign culture when we should be adapting Christianity and its truths into the culture that's there without synchronizing. But you have mystical religions. You have Judaism that was trying in the, in the New Testament world, trying to bring the law and grace together. And it was a syncretism of two religions that, that uh, Peter rebuked Paul for, or Paul rebuked Peter for uh, in the book of Acts. And that's what Galatians is about and parts of Romans of what it's about. So the, the problem with syncretism, you don't add to God's truth. You take God's truth and you apply it where it's at. And you, you do away with things that are in contradiction to God's truth. So the syncretism was happening. And that always happens with, uh, with new believers or immature believers. Next point. Um, please understand the corrective, challenging, and sarcastic nature of Paul's writing here in 1 Corinthians. This was a model church, right? No, it was not. It was a model. It was a poor model church because they were new believers. They, they were first generation coming to faith in Christ. First generation church. They didn't have the completed word of God at that point. So they, had, they may have had some of Paul's writings. They had the Old Testament, but they were, they were in this transitional stage, not a normative time in history of the church. The church is still being formed. So you've got that that's going on that plays into this. Next point. Okay. These are the passages where Paul is pretty pointed in what he is saying. 
Um, see if I actually have my notes here. Yes. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 1 and 2. I could not write to you as spiritual, but I had to write to you as people of the flesh. And he's being, he's like, I, I couldn't be I couldn't be in as encouraging as I want to be because there's so much that I need to help correct. So he's very pointed in what he's doing there. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 through 8 and verse 10, he's dealing with them because they're coming and they're, being, they're very entitled. This is who we are. We know what we're doing. And Paul is addressing their entitlement and he's very pointed in what he does here. Uh, chapter 4, uh, 11 and 12, he talks about their arrogance but they have no authority. So he's correcting them again. So you can see this, this challenging, corrective uh, nature that he has. Uh, when we get into 1 Corinthians 13, you know, if I could, um, if I could sing like angels, I have a, yes, you know, it's like, you know, it's basically sarcastic. It's like if I could eat a whole horse or a whole cow or it's very, there's hyperbole that's used here. He's He's exaggerating in order to make a point. And you see this over and over again in 1 Corinthians. You see it in chapter 9, you see it in chapter 11, et cetera, et cetera. So taking this theme and thought in Paul's mindset as he's uh, approaching this particular issue within the church, um, it is interesting that as you read through 1 Corinthians, some of the chapters start with, now concerning. So it's almost like Paul had this list of items that he was going down through as he wrote his letter, as he's addressing issues within this church. He loves them deeply, but he's being pointed in this. Then when you get to the second letter of Corinthians, Paul comes back and says, now I can encourage you more and build you up. So there's, there's more of that pastoral shepherding heart that you get in second, uh, second Corinthians. All right, next slide. All right. Um, is there any possibility that you can bring up 1 Corinthians 14 so we can just go through it on the text? There it is. Man, you are you're the best, man. Good job. All right, 1 Corinthians 14. I want us to walk through this together. And we'll stop at points and address things that are going on in this particular text, okay? Everybody at 1 Corinthians 14? This is the ESV that we have up on our screen. We're going to go through this pretty quick, and then I want to come back and wrap this up by giving you 12 principles to look at or 12 points to look at instructions in regard to what biblical tongues is. Okay? So reading through here, first two words, pursue love. That goes back to two weeks ago, what Dave brought and taught, that the important thing here is to pursue love. That it's, it's in a command form that's here. So pursue love. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially when you prophesy. The gift of prophecy is not giving new truth, but it's proclaiming truth that's already been revealed. Okay? So it's not foretelling as much as it is forthtelling. If I got those words right. Okay? Verse 2. For one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, for he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Okay, a couple points here. Let me read that differently. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, for he utters mysteries in the Spirit. You, know, you can hear Paul's voice there being critical of what was going on, rather than being affirmative of what's going on. We know that because look at the next verse. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people 
for their building up and encouragement and consolation. Josh is having fun back there, popping things up here on the screen. But you can see the difference that's there in 1 Corinthians 14, speaking in tongues versus speaking, or speaking prophecy. Prophecy is building up of people because it's taking truth and edifying the body. But someone who is speaking in, the, in tongues, based upon what was happening in the, in the church at Corinth, you're not speaking to men. Nobody out here was benefiting from it. And basically, he's being sarcastic here. God hears it. Okay? Now, by the way, we're going to start from the landing point here that biblical tongues was always a known language. It was a known dialect of the time. Always. Anywhere in the New Testament, it's always a biblical, it's always a known language. So biblical tongues always addresses a known language, not an unknown language. May have been unknown to the speaker, but the hearer would have understood. Okay? I want, want you to keep two. What is the purpose of the gift of interpretation? Because that's a big question. We'll come back to that. All right, verse, I think we're at verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Remember all these points of selfishness and entitlement and arrogance that this church has? This is another point of self-edification rather than the edifying of the body that the text talks about here. Verse 5, now I want you to all to speak in tongues but even more to prophecy. So he addresses here, it's not gift envy. It's not that this gift is more important than the other. Why does he want them to seek the gift of prophecy? Because it builds up the body. Whereas tongues does not build up the body. Okay? The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue unless someone interprets, critical point that we're going to come back to, so that the church may be built up. Okay, we're going to come back to this, but if there is not an interpretation of the tongues that is given, Paul will later tell them just to be quiet. Okay, it's not biblical tongues, and it's a violation of the steps that Paul lays out here. Verse 6, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes. This goes back to 1 Corinthians 13. How will anyone know what is played? If the bugle gives an, in, an indistinct sound, who will get ready for the battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will any know, anyone know what is said? Again, it doesn't benefit anybody. So the benefit of the gift of tongues in the New Testament world was to build the body up. If it's not building the body up, it's probably not biblical tongues that's being talked about. Uh, let's see here. How will anyone know? For you will be speaking into the air. You can hear Paul's criticism and his sarcasm in that particular statement. There are doubtless many languages in the world, and none is without meaning. Catch that? There are many languages in the world, but none without meaning. So tongues must have meaning. It goes back to the fact that it is a known dialect. Okay? But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Paul is bringing them back. What is the important factor here? 
Build up the church. Build up the body. This unity that we should be having. Build up. It goes back to the, the, the uh, analogy of the, of the body and the spiritual gifts from chapter 12. Okay, verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Okay, again, read this as though Paul is being corrective, and he's being sarcastic here. Okay, who benefits from somebody praying in a tongue? The person praying, maybe? That would be the position that J.I. Packer takes. If, okay, but he says the benefit is for the building up of the body. All right, where am I at? Verse 15, what am I to do? I will pray in my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Important. Known language, biblical tongues, praying with your mind so you know what's going on. It's not just this gibberish. It's a known language that's being talked about here. Um, Verse 16, otherwise you give thanks for your spirit. How can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you were saying? Can we just insert the word confusion here? Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Again, biblical tongues is a known dialect, and Paul is saying that he speaks in tongues, known dialect, giving the gospel out to the world more than any of them. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than a thousand words in a tongue. Again, the emphasis of chapter 14 is the gift of prophecy, not the gift of tongues. Verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And the law is written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Look at verse 22, thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. So one of the main purposes of the gift of biblical tongues was for unbelievers, not for believers. The gift of prophecy is for believers. So evangelism is the main purpose that the gift of tongues is given, and you see that in the book of Acts as it, as it's, uh, as it comes out. All right. I've lost my place. Very top. If therefore the whole church comes together, all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say, you are out of your minds? I, I have a friend of mine who walked in to a setting where a group of tongue speakers, not biblical tongues, but tongue speakers were speaking, and a group of people walked by, looked in, and you could, he said, there was no doubt in my mind, they were completely, and he used these words, weirded out. It didn't draw the unbelievers in, it actually weirded them out, because it was not a known language. They were speaking uh, very unintelligible sounds. Um, all right, I'm sorry, verse 24, but if all prophesy, let's see, verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. If there was really biblical tongues and he heard 
in his language, coming from somebody who didn't know his language, what would happen? Well, probably Acts 2 would happen, <laughs> where many people would come to faith. Verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, let all things be done for, here's the emphasis again, building up. If, if any speaks in a tongue, here's, here's some guidelines, let there be two, only two, and at most three, and each in turn, let someone interpret. Right? Two, no more than three, and someone must interpret. If anyone speaks in a tongue, okay, well, I'm sorry, verse 28. But if there's no one to interpret, what are they to do? Let them be or keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. If there's no interpreter, they're to be quiet. How do you apply the prayer language of praying in tongues? When God clearly says here there must be an interpreter. So I question even the validity of praying in tongues as a prayer language based upon what the text tells us. Verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets and subjects to prophet are subject to prophets. But God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the church. They are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Okay, let me just make a note on this. Probably in the church of Corinth, that the issue of tongues was more prominent of an issue with the women in the church than it was with the men in the church. So I don't believe that this is saying women should never speak in church. Um, I do believe that it... There's guidelines that God gives us elsewhere, but man, the value of, in, of, of using the gifts that God has given to our ladies within the confines of our church, we need to find ways to be creative and, and plugging our ladies in using gifts that God has given them. But I think here what we find is we find that the gift of tongues that was being, or whatever it was here in 1 Corinthians, was being misused mostly among the women, but also among the men. So verse 35, if there is anything they desire to learn that the master husband's at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And again, it goes back to the issue of, of improper tongues and so forth. Verse 36, or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Boy, this is a very pointed conclusion to this chapter. Everything that Paul has laid out at this point, he is saying this is a command of God that you need to abide by. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So spiritual leadership, he's laying out the guidelines of what that really looks like here. So my brothers, here's his conclusion. Earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all th things should be done decently and in order. So a lot of stuff here, right? Chapter 14. Let's go back to my PowerPoint if we could, guys. There we go. All right, next slide, please. All right, instructions for biblical tongues speaking. Point number one. Prophecy was to be desired more than tongues. You see that over and over and over again here in this chapter. That if you're going to desire a gift, desire the gift of prophecy, 
But remember 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, that not everyone gets every gift. And you may not gift the gift of prophecy. You may not get the gift of serving. You may not get the gift of mercy. God has already predetermined what gift that you're going to have and how that fits into the unity of the church to move the church forward. Okay? Um, my wife got the gift of mercy. I didn't. You know, if you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm at negative 2. She's at, neg- she's at positive 12. You know, it's kind of like, you know, God, God knew who to give the gift of mercy to and who not to. So, again, not everyone's going to have every gift or a particular gift. And you don't want to envy one that you don't have. You want to figure out, how do I develop the one that God gave me? Because God's got a purpose in using me by giving me this gift to either reach the nations or to develop people to go to the nations. All right, next point. The primary purpose of tongues was so unbelievers could hear the gospel. That is the primary purpose of biblical tongues, is bringing the gospel to people who would never have heard the gospel any other way. I've been in quite a few foreign countries, and there have been times that I've longed to communicate the gospel. God didn't give me the gift of tongues. Okay, it's, it's not something that God normally does. Could he? Okay, I'll give you that. Would he? I'm still processing through that. Okay, I've yet to see anything, hear anything firsthand. But the point here in the, in the parentheses that these sign gifts lasted longer in Corinth because they were at the crossroads of the Roman world. There was a major east-west highway that went through Corinth. And so God was bringing the world, like he is in America, he's bringing the world to us. And the crossroads, he wanted the gospel to be brought to these people who who didn't know the gospel. And he brought it to them by giving people the gift of tongues to communicate in their native tongue, their native language, the gospel. Somebody who didn't know their language, given the gift to speak their language. That's what he did in New Testament world. Number three. Um, Yeah, well, verse 20 and 26. Paul is basically correcting the church. The way you're using tongues is weirding people out rather than becoming a feature that attracts them to the gospel. And we found that in these verses that we read through. Point three. The secondary purpose of tongues was for the growth of the church. When you think about evangelism, evangelism is not just about bringing people to faith in Christ. It's about bringing people to faith in Christ. And when they come to faith in Christ, they become a part of his church, and it's the building up of the church numerically but also on a spiritual level. Number four, no more than three people are to speak at one gathering. Chapter 14, verse 27. Um, I went to a funeral once here locally. It was really weird. Just being honest, because here's a funeral, and they're mourning, but there's 15, 20 people speaking in tongues, which would have been a violation of this passage. It was just really weird um, to me, even as a believer. Number five, only one person is to speak at a time, so not multiple people speaking at a time. That's just absolute confusion. Um, That's like walking into my house with my grandkids there. All the noise that's going on. Number six. Each tongue speaking must be interpreted. Okay, if God gives the gift of tongues, which is, a bibli- which is biblically a known language, why would an interpreter be needed? 
So God tells us to test out the spirits. And I think the gift of interpretation is given for not only the person who, who, who speaks the gift, which is a known dialect, that was also required to be somebody who got the interpretation who didn't speak that known language either, so that it would be validated that this is of God and not of, uh, you know, of the devil or of something else. So I think that's critically important to understand as well. And I just have a huge question. I'm very skeptical about a prayer language of tongues because it doesn't fit into any of the principles that we lay out here in 1 Corinthians. And I don't think, I mean, Paul is speaking in very um, hyperbolic language in this particular chapter. So I, it's the hardest point for me to even conceive as something that's, that's, uh, that's I'm not convinced by any means. How, how's that? <laughs> Seven. Purpose of an interpreter, again, is to validate the message communicated through the tongue. When there were tongues, God provided the interpretation of that particular language to validate that it was a biblical tongues. Okay? Eight. Any confusion or disorder was an indication that something didn't come from God. Very clearly here at the end of this chapter, as Paul is wrapping it up, if it's causing confusion and it's weirding people out, it's probably not of God. You know, God is, clearly, God is not the author of confusion, and that's what he's dealing with here in this particular chapter. Number eight, women's role were limited with tongues and prophecy, and I think it was basically what was going on culturally within this particular church. And um, so don't want to rest on that much. Number nine, if someone ignores these instructions, Paul clearly says that they were to be ignored. If you don't want to abide by what God lays out in 1 Corinthians 14, then Paul says then they're to be ignored. They, they've lost their voice of influence and authority because they're not following the command that God gives here. Number, okay, number 10, don't forbid people from speaking in biblical tongues. Biblical tongues is a known dialect, not unknown dialects. Known language is mainly given for the evangelism of the lost. Okay, number 12. Instances in the book of Acts and the gathering together of the church. When you look at the book of Acts, you have basically three main times. I'm going to give you a, a fourth one that's not speak, talking about tongues, but when a different group of people is initiated into the church, this new body that, that God is pulling together. First one, Acts chapter 2. There we go. Jewish believers, day of Pentecost, Jewish believers from all over gathered together, this feast that's in, in, uh, in Israel that's going on, and Jewish believers are brought into the body of Christ at that point in time, and it's manifested by the Holy Spirit coming upon them and speaking in known languages, the dialects of the people that were there. Peter speaks, and everyone from their dialect hears it. Acts chapter 8 the Samaritan believers are brought into the church. Holy Spirit comes upon them, but there's no mention here that they spoke in tongues. But they're brought into the body of Christ. Acts 10, Cornelius represents Gentile believers coming in. And at this point, Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're speaking in tongues. Again, known dialects of the day. Chapter 19, we come to this group in, in Ephesus. John the Baptist's followers who are still following John the Baptist, although he'd been martyred years before. But they hadn't been brought into the body of Christ yet. They hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit yet. And 
Paul introduces them to the Holy Spirit, and they're initiated into the body of Christ. Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they're speaking in tongues there. After Acts 19, you don't have any mention of speaking in tongues in the history of the church until occasional instances throughout church history by these groups that I wouldn't call orthodox Christian groups until you come to the early 1900s when it's starting to be introduced back in. But here you've got different groups brought into the church. You notice that the Holy Spirit is present each time, but speaking in tongues doesn't happen each time. Okay, I think that was my last slide. Yes, it was. So, how many verses did we cover? 40, 39, 40? And it's just hard to give a, uh, a strong definitive position. Um, I think the guidelines, the instructions that are laid out here really help us understand what biblical tongues is, what it isn't. If you are still confused, join the crowd. Okay, I have read commentary after commentary after commentary. I know where I stand, but it's amazing some of where some of our scholars are today on this particular issue. And so our official position as a church is that we believe that the sign gifts um, are um, that we're open but extremely cautious. God could, if he wanted to, enter into space and time and do whatever he wants. And so I have to be open. But I'm also extremely cautious, particularly what I see in America today. But I would say 99.9% .9 of what you see Happening in churches, happening in a prayer language is not biblical tongues as described and defined by 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. But J.I. Packer in his book, Keeping in Step with the Spirit, probably gives the most definitive neutral position, and he's one of my favorite theologians, um, that if something like that benefits your spiritual life, he personally doesn't see where it's violating scripture. I'm still wrestling with that one. But just to be, just to let you know, here's a godly man that I, that one of my favorite theologians that would take a little bit of a different position than us here. But um, the idea here is to throw it out there and let you know, here's where we're at. This is, we're not going to skip over difficult passages. The teaching team just hands them to me to handle. <laughs> so, all right, we are 10 minutes over, and I know Dave wanted to have a prayer time here at the end. Real quick, David, all yours. Thank you guys at the back. Guys, we'll try to, uh, we'll try to get those 12 points if you're like me and you, you hate gaps in your notes and you couldn't quite get them fast enough. Um, we'll try to get those out uh, to you either by the text message um, system or through Facebook. Real quick... Um, Isaac and Victoria, will you guys come, come up here, like right here? Um, guys, I know that there's a lot of transition going on for many of you, um, and, and really it'd be a great time to have everybody who's making a transition right now to file up here that we pray personally and individually over each one of you and what God's doing, and, and I, would, I would love to do that. And if you want to um, stick around and, and just allow us to be aware and we can pray with you together, um, maybe not in this in this total setting, microphoned up with everybody listening, but but just one on one and really lay before the Lord what God's got for you. Um, I would love to do that, and I'll stick around up front. Um, 
for that. But real quick with Isaac and Victoria, there's a substantial transition happening in the next um, next few weeks, uh, especially in the next week. So we're going to pray with them. I don't know how many of you know this, but uh, they met here, not in this room, but in this in this class before it was known as Converge. And that's a shout out for Epic for anybody who yeah, remembers that. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, we're able to walk through this. These are two very intentional um, young people who wanted to to make their relationship right before the Lord, and so they sought out mentorship, and they looked for counsel through different things, and, and they have worked hard to, to honor God with their relationship, and, and I have nothing but high hopes for how God is going to use them in the future in missions. They both have a heart to go into um, international missions to to see the name of Christ spread around the world. And, um, and so we want to pray with them as they approach their wedding day in less than less than seven days. And uh, as you want to say something? Oh, I'll stop talking. <laughs> okay. Um, I think one of the cool things Well, yeah, I, uh, I have really enjoyed the opportunity to be involved in your lives, and so thank you for that. Um, would, you, would you guys pray with me? Father, I just am so thankful for Isaac and Victoria. And, um, Lord, there are relationships that are in this room that we may not be aware of, that you have a design for, that may have not even started yet, and we, we look forward to how you're going to work in their lives, but we can witness this one today. And so, Father, as we come alongside them in their last week of singleness and they approach this, um, this unity that you are giving them in marriage, Father, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would guide their, um, their union together, that they would be of one mind in how you are directing them to use their marriage together in the mission that you have for them in this world. Father, I pray for the details that have to happen this week for the wedding, and we know there's a ton. And um, I pray for the other obstacles of testing and, and finishing classes and, and uh, working through this week that, that are still obstacles that have to be overcome before next weekend and the celebration that can happen. So I pray for those things. But, Lord, we really lay before you these two individuals who are becoming one in marriage as they approach living life together but on mission for you. And, Lord, we know that's their heartbeat. We thank you for them, for the role they've had in this group, uh, the way they've brought others into the group, the way they've challenged others, the way they have brought the just an energy to, um, to this group. I'm so grateful for them, and I know that you have fantastic things in store for them individually and now even as a couple. Uh, Lord, we, we just lift them before you and that you would use them well. We will miss them in this gathering. But uh, we look forward to hearing what you are doing through them and in them in the next uh, phase of life that you've given them. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.